you'll have your Bibles out there. We'll start in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Starting in verse 1, working our way through that chapter. Sometimes when you come across a, a book or an article, there will be a disclaimer in it. And it will say something along the lines of, uh, the following material may not be reproduced in full or in part without proper acknowledgement, without proper documentation. You can't just take this information and use it without giving credit where credit is due. And we understand this concept and we hold it pretty dear to ourselves that if, if someone deserves credit, they ought to get credit. And we don't like it, you know, when people steal someone's material. We have plagiarism. We have people who take something that, that wasn't their original material and they, they uh, reproduce it or, or pass it off as their own. And so we understand this concept, giving credit where credit is due. Well, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, a lot of that chapter is about giving credit where credit is due. About acknowledging what God has done in their lives and, and what his part is in their lives. And in the book of Deuteronomy, as we look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, did you know this, that, that of all the books of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted, he quoted Deuteronomy most of all. And you think about him going back to that law and going back to God and who God was. And in fact, when the devil tempted Jesus three times, do you know what scripture Jesus answered with? Three times from the book of Deuteronomy. He went back to that to, to talk about who God was and about God's providence and about trusting God. And several times when Satan said, look, do what I say, Jesus said, no, I trust God, I trust God, I trust God. And where did he go to establish that God was trustworthy? He went to Deuteronomy. And so you can expect to find that same idea in, in Deuteronomy that God is a trustworthy God. All through the book of Deuteronomy, it's a call to trust and obey God. Now, a lot of people think of the Old Testament, New Testament, and they say, well, the Old Testament is about obedience. In the Old Testament, God was concerned with obedience. But in the New Testament, the New Testament is about trust. And, and now that we're in the New Testament, it's not about obeying God, it's about trusting God. Now, that's saying that obedience is not a New Testament concept and trust is not an Old Testament concept. That's not true. In fact, all the way back in the book of Proverbs, the Bible tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It can be a challenge to trust God, can't it? To trust Him. We know He's good. We believe that He's good, but it's hard to trust His timing. God, why aren't you doing things when I want you to do them? It's hard to trust His methods. Why aren't you doing things how I want you to do them? It's hard to trust the people He uses. Lord, why are you using that person to teach me this lesson? Yet over and over the Bible says, trust God. Trust God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, if, if you'll, we're going to come back to chapter 8 in just a moment. But as the book begins in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God told them what he expected of them. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to trust me. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want you to do. And in verse 18 he says, and I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Here's how to live your life. Here, he's given them the law. He's told them how he wants them to live. And one of the things he does, you know, when we think about his commands as being do this, do that, give this, give that, tithe this, tithe that. But one of the commands was, trust me. You may not think of that as one of God's laws, as one of his commands, but God wanted them to trust him. In verse 21, he says, see the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. That's a command. Do not fear or be dismayed. Verse 29 says it again. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. Do not. It's a command. Do not be afraid of them. Do not dread. Trust me. Verse 32, the Bible says, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. So one of the commands they broke was God said, Trust me. Don't be afraid. Trust me. You can trust me. And what did the people do? Oh, we, don't, we don't trust him. We don't believe him. We don't believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And, and did you ever think about this from, from Mount Sinai? which is sometimes called Mount Horeb. This thing's probably the same place. From Mount Sinai to the entrance to the promised land. You know how many days journey that was? Eleven. Eleven days. To get from Mount Sinai to the promised land. Eleven days. Less than two weeks journey. Took them 40 years. Over 40 years. To get from, from point A to point B where they could have gotten in eleven days ended up taking 40 years. And now can you answer the question, why? They didn't trust him. Took, 40, took more than 40 years because they didn't trust him. Because he said, trust me. Don't be afraid of those people. I'm God. I'm with you. I'm greater than all your problems. Trust me. No, Lord, we don't trust you. Okay? We're going to take care of that. In chapter 8, now if you go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 8, as Moses is going back through this retelling of the law and the history of the people, the Bible calls them to give credit where credit is due. And the first thing, you know, we talk about giving credit. Sometimes people want credit for a blessing. You know, hey, hey, I did that for you. I gave that to you. That's my gift to you. But the first credit in the book of chapter 8 is, I'm the one that humbled you. That wilderness thing that you went through, God says, yeah, that was me. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1 says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And then it says what God's purpose was. What was it? What does your Bible say? That He might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Isn't that always the choice? You're either going to keep His commandments or not. I talk a lot in sermons about spiritual Switzerland. Everybody wants to live in spiritual Switzerland. I, I kind of want to be neutral. I want to live in this halfway. No, there's no halfway. You're either going to keep my commands or you're not. <clears throat> and where was God looking for the answer to that question? It says He was looking to see what was in their hearts. What's in your heart? Now, where is trust? Where do you see trust? How do you know when someone trusts you? Well, it's in the heart. It starts in the heart and it follows through in the actions, but it's, it begins there. Have you ever had a job? You know about credit for humbling someone? God says, that was me. I'm the one that humbled you. Has it ever been your job to humble someone? You know, you think about having gone through being an instructor and doing that military training. When those, when those kids would come in for their first day of training... They had already been through about a year of a selection process where, where they had had to, to outdo their peers. They had gone through selection. They'd been told that they were, you know, the, the best of this group and then the best of that group and then the best of that group. 
They'd been tested. They'd been prodded and poked. They were physically healthy. They were, they were mentally healthy. They were, they were ready to go. And, and then they come in there. And you can imagine on the first day of, uh, of training what their attitude is like. They are so full of themselves. They think they can walk on water. And when someone has that mindset, do you know how easy they are to teach? When someone thinks they know everything and can do everything and they're better than everyone else, you cannot teach that person anything because they think they know it all already. And so the first phase of training is to create what's called a crisis of competence. And those of you who are, you've been through it. A crisis of competence. Wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not as healthy as I thought I was. Somebody help me. You know, we also see this in Acts chapter 2. God used this very approach in Acts chapter 2. All, the, the fair, all these people, all the Jews who had walked around with their noses in the air and thought they were God's gift to the world. And, and all of a sudden, Peter goes to them and says, Hey, you know who you are? You're murderers. You killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God. And as he's speaking, you can imagine them getting lower and lower and lower in their estimation. And what do they finally say? What do we do? Now they're ready. Now they're open to this teaching. And so God has these people who are walking around. And, and then all of a sudden they say, well, we don't trust you. Those people are too big for us. We can't take them. And God says, okay, I have some work to do. So you're going to wander. For 40 years. And God says that was me. And to be willing to take credit for something like that. Do you know what you have to do? You have to be willing to love people enough for them to hate you. If you don't love them enough. If you just want to be well liked. If you just want to be popular. You're not going to do this. But God is not in a popularity contest. God says I'm going to do what's necessary for you. It needed, I needed to humble you. And look in verse 3 it says. And he, he humbled you. And he let you hunger. Now, why would God do something like that? I'm going to let you go hungry. You need to be dependent on me. You need to learn to trust me. So what did, he, what did he do? Did he send them out to find their own food while they were in the wilderness? No, he said, I'm going to feed you. You're going to be hungry until I take care of you because you're going to learn that you can trust me. And every morning that you get up, there's going to be manna on the ground. And then and he sent them, he gave them all of the things that they needed, all of the food, all the water. He brought them water out of the rocks. He, he did what needed to be done. But he said, he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Quit depending on yourself. Start depending on me. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Now look at verse 5. It says, know then in your heart. Know this. This is why I humbled you. Know this. That as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. God says, I'll take credit for this. You needed discipline, and I gave you discipline. You needed to be humbled, so I humbled you. You didn't trust me, so I made you trust me. You know the, the chapter in the Bible that's the New Testament equivalent of that? It's Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 10 says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Some translations say sorrowful. It's not fun. Isn't that what that says? This discipline from God, it doesn't seem joyful. It doesn't make us happy. But, but, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. It's the long view of love. It's not the short-term popularity. It's not God saying, I want you to like me today. It's God saying, I'm going to do what's best for you in the long term. I want you in heaven with me for the long term. So if that means I have to discipline you now, I'm going to discipline you now. And if you rant and rave and say, I hate God and can't stand Him, and, and God is so mean and God is so ugly and God doesn't do what I say when I say it, God says, I'm okay with that. You know what we call that when we see that in a parent? We call that good parenting. That's a good parent that doesn't give their child everything they want when they want it, but does what's good for that child. Don't we want this in God? Do we really, really want God to jump when we say jump? When we snap our fingers for Him to come running and, and do what we want? Or do we pray, God, Thy will be done. Lord, Thy will be done. You do what's best for me, whether I understand it or not. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God takes credit for discipline. That was me. I did that. You didn't trust me when I told you to trust me. So I did that. I wanted to see what was in your heart. I wanted to see if you would obey me or not. He had to train them. He had to discipline them. He had to teach them. Can you imagine some of the people wandering around in the wilderness and a guy hitting his buddy and saying, man, can you believe our bad luck? Aren't we going to find our way out of here sooner or later? Didn't we just pass this rock last week? God says, hey, I want you all to know this is not bad luck. This is me. I'm thankful we have a father like that. And I'm thankful that we have a father who's not just a disciplinarian. He's not just doing things to train us. He's also a God of blessing. In Deuteronomy 8, going back to our, our, our text in Deuteronomy, in chapter 8, he not only takes credit for the discipline, but he also takes credit for the blessings. He says in verse 10, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. You shall bless Him for the good land. When you see all this good, when you're full, when your tummy's full, you shall turn to God and say, thank you. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the discipline. Thank you for the blessings. Another thing from God, I don't know if some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but you know, you know who Mr. Magoo is? I had a little book when I was a kid, Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo can't see very well. He always squints and he's driving his car along and, and it starts raining and his car is dirty and he says, oh, you know, what a wonderful rain and it's washing away the dirt on my car and then, then there's a, a wind that blows and he says, oh, and look what a wonderful breeze and, and it's drying my car off and he says, thank you, thank you, Mother Nature for cleaning my car. And he's at the car wash and the guy has his hand out and he says, Mother Nature, nothing, buddy. The name's Mac. That's $5. To pay me. That was me that washed your car. I'm the one that washed your car. Pay me. 
And it's a joke in the book that Mr. Magoo was too short-sighted to see who was washing his car. We've got a world full of people who are spiritually short-sighted, who wake up every day and they fill their lungs, they breathe, they look out at nature and they say, wow, we are so lucky that this world is here. It all just happened. It all just came about and all of these things. And God says, no, 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 that's me. When you're there and you've eaten your food and you've got all of this stuff, I get the credit. That's me. I'm the one. And look what he gave them in verse 7. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. God says you're going to have food, you're going to have water, you're going to have resources. And then verse 10 says, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. It's going to be great. You're going to go into this land. Now that I've trained you, now that I've disciplined you, I'm going to bless you. Because that's what follows. Isn't it the peaceful fruit of righteousness? The blessing follows the discipline? For those who've been trained by it. So now you've been trained. Now it's time to go into the land. I'm going to bless you. Don't you say it's luck. It's not luck. It's not happenstance. It's God. And God says, I've given you these things. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world. And we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We talked about this in our college class this morning. Over and over. Notice what he's talking about. He's talking about cravings. He's talking about desires. He's talking about lust. This idea of money being your God. And, and, and all of a sudden you're no longer content with the blessings God has given you. Well, I don't like rocks made of iron. I don't like copper in the hills. I want some gold. I want some of this. I want more. I don't like the food you're giving me. I don't like the man. I want something better. I want meat. I don't like this. Why, why couldn't we stay back in Egypt? They grumbled and grumbled. God says, just say thank you. Bless him. Give him credit for your physical blessings. He warns in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and verse 11, he says, take care. And when God says, take care, it's a, it's a warning. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. So what's the, what's the picture? When your cup is just overflowing, when you're blessed, when God has poured out his riches upon you, take care that then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you to test you to do you good in the end. 
Don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare get to the point where everything's going well and your belly's full and your house is full and your bank account is full and everything is really good and then you sit around and go, yep. Look what I did. Look what I did. Bible says, don't forget, don't forget that I did this for you. Don't forget that I'm the one that blessed you. Don't forget to keep my commandments. And then a third credit in verse 17. Beware. Beware lest you say in your heart. So there's a take care that you don't attribute the blessings, these physical blessings. And then he says, beware, a second warning. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth. That He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. The Bible says about your wealth, it is He. Now how many letters do you have to change to turn that upside down? You change that H to an M... And you make it is he to it is me. We talk about my money. It's my money. I've earned my wealth. And, and, and I did this. And we talked a, a week ago about this idea of people wanting my money. People want my money. You're starting off on the wrong foot. The Bible says remember that it's God who gives you the, the power to make wealth. You know, King, King Nebuchadnezzar tried this out. He tried this on to see how that worked. He looks out at Babylon and he says, Oh, great Babylon. Who did he give credit to? Me. It's by my power. By my might. Look what I've done. Wow, look what I've done. And the Bible says while the words were still in his mouth, God didn't think this over and say, Well, you know what? I better take care of this. I better, I better nip this in the bud. The Bible says while the words were in his mouth, God spoke to him. And instead of having a king's banquet for dinner, Nebuchadnezzar had a little grass for supper. Instead of having nice manicured fingers, he had fingernails like, like eagle's claws. And his, his hair grew out, long and scraggly. And God said, you're going to stay like that until you learn the truth. This isn't you. This is me. You see this in Deuteronomy? You see this in chapter 8? Taking credit where credit is due is that God is saying, look, this discipline, that was me. These physical blessings, everything around you, that's me. The wealth that you have, well, that's me too. Don't take credit for that. That is me. You know, we have to be very careful. And as we, we end on this, this third point before we go to our conclusion, we have to be very careful about uh, these excuses for, for this type of thinking. We can sometimes try to rationalize this thinking by saying, yes, but I worked hard and that person is lazy. And this is my money and, and, and this person wants my money, but I work hard and, and they're lazy. And, and here's where we have to be careful. Think about the Old Testament. Does the Old Testament make a distinction between the poor and the sluggard? Yes. The Bible's very, in the Old Testament, is very harsh on the sluggard. The, the, the one who won't work says, observe the sluggard. He, he puts his hand in the dish and he's too lazy to even bring it back to his own mouth. It says, look, look at his field. It's not maintained. He hasn't taken care of his own stuff. It's all falling apart. His wall is falling apart. And the Bible doesn't praise being a sluggard. The Bible says that's bad. 
Yet all through the Old Testament, what do you see about the poor? Open your hand freely to the poor among you. Do, to help those who are around you. To, to not be selfish. To not be greedy. That when someone comes to you and they're in need. That you open your hand freely. And so on one hand the Bible says no laziness and being a sluggard is not right. But neither is being greedy. And saying well those people are lazy. Therefore the poor are not my concern. That is wrong thinking. Now when we get to the New Testament. Do we see the same thing for New Testament Christians? Does the Bible speak against that same sluggard behavior and that same laziness? Absolutely. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Bible is very clear. There were some who had decided, well, if the Lord's coming, let's just kick our heels up. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Paul, said, we, Paul didn't just go and, and sit around with his heels up. He said, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. They did what they could. They did their best. It was not because we didn't have that right, but to give you ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. What was the command? If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Hunger is a powerful motivator. And so you've got this same idea. The Bible never says it's okay to be lazy. But do you know where you can make a mistake? You can say, therefore, everything I have is mine. Because that guy doesn't deserve it because he doesn't work. Oh, you're, you're not fooling anybody but yourself. Well, I've got all this and I've got all this blessings and I, I have it because I work hard. And these poor people, they just don't work hard. And I've tried to tell you over and over again, that is such a lie of Satan. Do you really believe there's no such thing as hard-working poor people? If you do, I'm going to buy you a ticket to India and you're going to come with me this year. If you really believe there's no such thing as hard-working poor people, you need to come to another country with me. And you don't even have to leave this country. There are people who work hard and do not have. They don't have the blessings you have. They don't have the prosperity that you have. Don't use the sluggard as an excuse to be selfish. And to have this attitude that was in some of them when they said, well, who's God? I, this is all mine. God said, this discipline, that's for me. These blessings, that's for me. And that power to make wealth, that's also from me. Do you think that's changed for us today? Do you think God has stopped being the source of our wealth for New Testament Christians? It takes a lot of patience and a lot of discernment, I believe, to not become bitter over the sluggard and harden our hearts toward the poor. I ask you a question. Did, did Jesus care about the poor? You think? Do we have to debate that? Do we have to scratch our heads over that? Did Jesus care about the poor? Well, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me see. Let me see if he said anything about the poor. Let me, let me see if, if he cared about the poor. Let me see if he helped the poor. But did Jesus also call people to work with their own hands, to, to do what they could? Absolutely. Now we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. God is telling them, you need to trust me. I've taken care of you. I've disciplined you, I've trained you, I've blessed you, I've given you wealth. You need to trust me. I will continue to take care of you. I'm going to bring you into this promised land and you need to do what I tell you. 
You need to not marry these foreign women. You need to not take these idols. You need to not chase after foreign gods. You need to trust me that I am your God. What did they do? They did everything he told them not to do. And he told them, you can't blame God for that. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Verse 19 says, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, which is what? Exactly what they did. If you do this, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. God doesn't mince words. God doesn't play around. God says, I want to know what's in your heart. Are you going to obey me or not? If you obey me, I'm going to reward you beyond your wildest imagination. You're going to have eternal life in heaven. But if you don't, listen to me clearly. You will die. And people say, I don't want to hear that. What I want to hear is that everybody's going to go to heaven. What I want to hear is it doesn't matter what I do. What I want to hear is that I can live however I want. Well, I wish I could tell you that this morning, but it's not in this book. You have to choose. Just like Joshua got up. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. You're going to serve the gods of the Amorites? You're going to serve this goddess for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. But I can't make the choice for you. You have to choose. Will you trust God? He says, if you forget, you will perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. They had a choice to make. Are you going to trust God or are you not going to trust God? And part of that trust came in obedience. Trust and obey. Just like we asked a couple of weeks ago, do you teach the truth or do you teach in love? You don't get to pick one. Do you trust God or do you obey God? You don't get to pick. You don't get a choice. And so many people are telling people today, just trust God. Don't worry about obedience. You don't get to choose. Trust and obey. Now we're going to close with this because when we think about this, this we're going to look in chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 9. And we're going to look in verse 6 because, because in all of this, when God says, look, it's not you, it's me. You didn't take a wrong turn. I put you in the wilderness. You didn't create all this stuff. I did and gave it to you. You didn't make that money. I gave you the power to make that money. I blessed you with that money. And just in case they were feeling a little puffed up in their heads, a little arrogant, look in chapter 9 and verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. That he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now stop there for a moment. I'm not giving you this land because you're so good. I'm driving them out because they're so bad. And then the people might say, but, well, what about us? What do you think about us? Look in the very next verse. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Here we're marching into the promised land and we're all feeling good about ourselves. And Moses tells them, no, this land you're going into, it's not because you're good. It's because they're bad and God is going to drive them out. And you, by the way, oh, you're just a bunch of stubborn people. You're, you're, you're stubborn. Think about stubbornness. That, that feet planted and arms crossed, 
I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take credit for what I'm going to take credit for. And God pleads with them and says, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to acknowledge that I am God. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have to drop the arrogance. You're going to have to let go of this idea that, that this is all because of you. Because He will humble you. He will take care of that. He, pride goes before a fall, the Bible says. He will humble you if that's what He needs to do. You have to let go of that pride that, well, I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian now because I'm such a good person. I, I give to charity and I treat people well. And I don't cut people off in traffic. And, and I watch my mouth pretty well. And I don't go to bad movies. And So I, I think I'm ready to become a Christian now. You got to let go of that. It's not because you're good. It's not because you've done so well. And being a Christian means letting go of that selfishness, that, that me-ism, that mine, 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 that money is my God. Because Jesus said very clearly, you cannot serve God and money. You have to choose. Who is your God? Who is your Lord? You've got to let go of that selfishness, that pride and that arrogance. And when we think about God's plan for salvation... He says, believe in God, believe also in me. You've got to get this out of your mind that you're the pinnacle of, of all creation. That there is a thing greater than you. That there's someone greater than us. That there is a God in heaven. You have to believe that. And then he calls us to repentance. You've got to get over yourself. You've got to get over this idea that you've got everything taken care of. That you've got everything right. You have to humble yourself to repent. You know what repentance requires? It requires an acknowledgement. I have messed this up. I'm trying. I'm trying to do right. But I'm not doing a very good job of it. In fact, I'm doing a horrible job of it. So I'm going to change my way. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to turn back toward God. And baptism is one of the ultimate forms of humility. How much of your old self do you want to drag into the church? None. Kill it. Put it to death. I, I'm, I'm dead. All my ways, all my thoughts, they all need to die. All of my selfishness, all of my arrogance, all of my meism, it all needs to die. And that's why when the Bible says confess, it says to confess Him as Lord. There is no room for me in Lordship. And so when we're buried in baptism, we rise a, a new creation, a new creature. And God blesses us. He says, look, there's your training, there's your discipline. Now here come the blessings. Here's your church family. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the forgiveness of all of your sins. I'm going to pour out the blessings of heaven on you. I'm going to adopt you as children. I'm going to make you heirs of an eternal kingdom. When you do what's right, when you trust me, when you obey me, I'm going to do everything in my power beyond your wildest dreams, beyond all you can ask or think. I'm going to take care of you. That's the deal. You trust me, I'll take care of you. And when you read through this book, what do you see in book after book after book in this Bible? You trust me. I'll take care of you. You leave me. You don't trust me. You perish. Over and over and over again. Do you trust the Lord your God? Have you put your trust in Him and not yourself for your salvation? Have you obeyed Him? It's not enough to say, Lord, I trust you. Have you obeyed Him? When Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, do you trust that? Say, well, I, I, know that, I know the Bible says Jesus said that, but my preacher says this. Or I think or feel this. Trust 
and obey. If you want the blessings of heaven, trust and obey. There's some of you this morning who have neither trusted nor obeyed. Why? Why not? You don't want the blessings? You don't want heaven? You don't want forgiveness? You don't want a family? You don't want to be a child of God? You don't want to be adopted by a father who loves you? Trust and obey. Or if you're already a Christian, is your life full of these doubts and mistrust? And I don't know if God can take care of me and, and some selfishness of God. I, I, know that, I know that you have blessed me and I know that you've continued to pour out blessings and I, I see people in need, but Lord, what if something happens? What if I can't trust you? What if you won't provide for me? What if I need to take care of myself instead? Trust me, God says. Live like you trust me. Because the way that you live and the way that you handle your blessings absolutely tells God what's in your heart. If you trust Him, He'll see it. He knows it. If you need to respond this morning, if you need to put your trust in Christ, if you need to put Him on in baptism, if you need to become a child of God, we ask you this morning to please come while we stand and sing.